Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. Good morning. It's a real pleasure to speak um, when it comes. I was telling Cole, I was like, ooh, we should do this every Mother's Day because he woke up early with the girls. I sat in the church's pastor lounge all morning. Normally I'm like doing so many things. I'm like, this is kind of a vacation for me. Um, But anyway, so yes, we have three children and this year we decided to homeschool, so we're on this adventure of homeschooling, and uh, we were doing this educational model called classical education, and they have all these different um, strategies, and, and one of the things they talk about is building your children's moral, moral imagination, um, which they're basically like take the classics and read these stories to your children, and, and it's a really beautiful concept. Sometimes it can be a little overwhelming, but the be- it's a beautiful concept of like, okay, let's take Aesop's fable. Um, the tortoise and the hare. So if I say patient endurance, you probably all immediately have this moral imagination of, oh yeah, the tortoise just walked patiently and endured, and the hare went fast. So, so that's the idea. You take these great texts and you um, read them to learn about what characters did right or did not do right, and you're building your children's moral imagination um, in order to solve ethical challenges. That's kind of the technical term. But um, so I say that because today we're going to do a little moral imagination journey into the character of Ruth. Um, Before we start, I had a little moral... um, imagination fail this week. So we have this book, we're doing this like curriculum, classical conversations, it's Christian, and they send you their books of all the historical classical texts that are wonderful. But, um, and so we read Shakespeare, right? That sounds so exciting. So I get to The Tempest, and I'm like, yeah, we can handle this. So we start reading it, and it's like, you know, the protagonist, he gets banished to an island, and then he's doing all this manipulation and sorcery to get everyone to come back to him. Um, and afterwards, my oldest friend is like, oh, that was really cool. I'm really inspired by that story. I'm like, oh yeah. Like, was like the reconciliation or what? She's like, oh no, the witchcraft. And I was like, oh Jesus, no. (laughs) And then Lila's like, yeah, when I think of witchcraft, I think of witches doing crafts. And I was like, okay, shut that, 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 that. We close this door. I bind this in the name. It's just like, oh, it was a bad moment. So, you know, walk in discernment (laughs) as you're building your moral imagination. Um, So... (laughs) Okay, so today we're going to talk about Ruth, and um, Ruth is called uh, a a woman of virtue. So we're going to study the virtues, and we're going to look at Ruth's life in the context of a woman of virtue, in the context of Mother's Day. So here we go. Okay, so Ruth, if you do not know, she was around in the time of Judges. Judges is a time when everyone did what seemed right in their own eyes. So you have a culture where everyone's indulging in their flesh. They're doing what, being true to themselves. You know, they don't have a boss. They don't submit to anyone. They do what they want. They are free, so they think. But as we see, their freedom leads to oppression and captivity and destruction. They cry out, go back to God. They cry out to God. God raises up a judge. They listen maybe for a second, 
and they go right back into their freedom, so they think, right? To do whatever their little selfish, impulsive desires. Ooh, right there, right? It sounds kind of like our culture right now. So here in the midst of this, we have Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite. She is not an Israelite, so she did not grow up learning about Yahweh, the God of Israel. But she lives in Moab, and her, um, she's going to marry an Israelite. Before we dive in, I'm going to start with this verse, um, because I think it's really beautiful of... Um, putting in our minds as we're, listen, we're reading this story. Um, so one of the things they do in, uh, okay, Western, I just learned this, Western way of kind of reading the Bible is we analyze a lot. And I just learned that the Hebrew way is to synthesize. So they'll take parallel stories and kind of, so perhaps in the Old Testament, they would have taken Ruth and like Sarah, you know, or they would have maybe compared different women. Um, I'm going to take the New Testament and synthesize some of the scriptures in the New Testament to kind of watch um, and compare it to Ruth's life. So Galatians 5, 13 through 14 says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So in a world, a culture, a society, where everyone is using their freedom to indulge the flesh, we are going to see Ruth rather serve one another humbly in love. And then the second verse I just want to put in your minds um, is Matthew 5.5. 5. Blessed are the meek. We'll just start with the first part of that verse. Okay, so so what is virtue? Um, the New Testament talks about virtue, and um, Peter and Paul, they exhort the church to add virtue to their faith and to dwell, to think of virtuous things. So we have 2 Peter 1, 5, it says, but also for this very reason, give all diligence Add to your faith virtue. So we're, Peter is saying there's some part of, part of adding to your faith, some sort of, it, the word is, um, the Greek word is like a supplement. So almost like um, a supplement that you would take, right? So you, you're adding this kind of continuously. Um, it goes on, add virtue, virtue to knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Philippians, Paul says, um, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So we know virtue, okay, we need to meditate on it. Um, it's something that we should be adding into our faith on like, you know, morning I wake up, I have my virtue vitamin. <laughs> so it's a continual kind of thing. Um, so what, let's unpack the virtues just a little bit. Um, Paul, there's a couple scriptures where we can kind of see um, the virtues unpacked. So first, we have Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion 
kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other, loyalty, faithfulness, that's my interpretation, and forgive one another. I would say mercy would be that. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And what is love? 1 Corinthians 13 tells us love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Whew. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So this just kind of gives us this, this expounded list of the virtues. Um, so uh, in Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, he talks about there's two types of virtues. There's a cardinal virtue and a theological virtue. Um, so he says like justice, so Plato and Aristotle define the cardinal virtues. So that would be justice is one of them, which is like goodness, kindness, honesty. Uh, prudence, which it would be discretion, good judgment, wisdom. Temperance would be self-control. Fortitude is, is an interesting one because it's courage to stick through hard things. Anyone married for a long time? <laughs> um, it's true, you're gonna need it. You're gonna need it. Get some fortitude, let me tell you. It's worth it. It is so worth it. Isn't it cold? <laughs> okay. But now the theological, the ones that you can't muster up, are faith, hope, and love. I love that. We cannot get that on our own. Oh, faith, hope, and love, which well, really those are like, think about it. You could do a lot of this, but wow, the faith of God that he puts in us just sends us allows us to keep going, you know? It just keeps us propelling. It is our lifeline. And so I think that is so beautiful. The world can do a lot of really good stuff. Yeah, good job. Like, there's people who can do a lot of good stuff. Yeah, they have justice and fortitude, but faith, hope, and love, Jesus. Okay, really quickly, the Old Testament. Um, the English translation, so in English translations, you'll have virtue, and that is... Um, commonly attached to women. So we will have Ruth, who we're going to study a little bit. Uh, Ruth is known around the town to be a virtuous woman. Actions speak louder than words. Proverbs 31, a virtuous wife. Proverbs 12, who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. Um, the thing, though, it's interesting, is the Hebrew word that they use for virtue is khalil, um, which is translated as strength. It's wealth. It's a military strength. Um, it's um, riches and power, nobility. And anyone who knows the story of Ruth, she is not wealthy. She is not. She's a female. She's not in a military. She doesn't, she's not going to the gym. So it's speaking to this internal wealth and strength inside of her. 
So let's get in. All right. So we're going to gaze into Ruth's story. We're going to look for the virtues. We're going to build our moral imagination using Ruth's story. So let's start. Ruth 1, starting in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Amalek, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahon and Kilion. They were Aphrodites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Amalek, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Melahon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So the book, the beginning of the book starts pretty bleak, right? Death, famine, in a foreign land, widowed, elderly. It's kind of like a Job-like scenario, right? So it really, and, and in a patriarchal society, a woman who's past the childbirthing age, um, all her finances, all her hope, all her uh, real future is attached to what she can either produce, either her sons or her husband. So she really is at the bottom of the barrel. So much so that when she returns to um, her hometown, her name is Naomi, and she says, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. And so, rightly so, she's probably really bitter. Um, and carrying a lot of weight, carrying a lot. She's just been through a lot. And she doesn't really have a lot of hope. And in the natural, she's kind of not going to be successful. So we're going to keep reading, and we're going to discover the first virtue Ruth exhibits, which is faithfulness. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, and she and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters, she left daughter-in-laws. She left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, no, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. And then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. Buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. This is an elderly woman, her mother-in-law, who is not going to have children, so she's not going to have any finances. She's not going to have any land. She does not have a future. This is not 
you know, the American dream, Rivi, Rosie Riviette, whatever her name is, you know, this is the end of the story. And this is radical. Ruth, what she's doing here, her loyalty is almost actually kind of insane. Like there is no actually even guarantee that the Israelites will accept her because she is a foreigner. She's a Moabite. I mean, they've been enemies. This is really crazy. It's almost like that new Christian convert who's like, I'm going to sell everything. I'm going to go to China and I'm going to do this. And we're like, oh, okay, let's just, let's just pull back. Like that's the radical <laughs> abandonment of you know, selling everything for that precious jewel, right? Like, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Like this, the next time you, you read that scripture, look at this woman. And she's like, she's, she's tasted the God of scarcity in Moab, and she's like, your God's going to be my God. But she doesn't, like, I don't know what she knows yet, but wow, the loyalty the faithfulness. So there's these really beautiful things because as we walk in our walk with the Lord, I love this. I see these little moments in Ruth where we're doing our part, but guys, God's eyes are on us. So they happened to return at the barley, when the barley harvest was beginning. And I love that. It just so happened to return. It's like the providence of God that you see, you know, in our lives. You're going to have those moments where, oh, it just so happened to be the spring when there is an abundance of new barley harvest. Um, because everything has to do with the land as well, right? They're so dependent on it. So this is like a sign of spring and abundance, and it's this beautiful, the hand of God, the hand of God on our lives. So the second virtue Ruth exhibits is perseverance, patiently enduring fortitude. Ruth 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Amalek, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and I'll pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz. There's another moment, right? As it turned out, ah, God is with us, you guys. Like, yeah. God is with us. We, you will have those moments where it's, as it just turned out, it just so happened that we came at this time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. His eye is on his children. His eye is on your, yes. He sees it. Oh, glory. So she goes to the field, and then Boaz shows up, and he's asking about her. So he asks his overseers, and they say, oh, she's a Moabite who came back with Mo from Moab with Naomi. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Patiently enduring perseverance fortitude. Then later on down the chapter, it says, so Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. And later on at the end of the chapter, it says, so Ruth stayed close to the woman of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. And so she's working for her mother-in-law. She's going out to provide for her day in, day out, staying early, going early, staying late fortitude, which 
like I said, is courage to endure in hard things. And this would be really beautiful. If you just ended it right here, that'd be like, okay, cool, they're surviving, they have food, there's a relative, they're safe, okay, great. This could have been like two chapters in, ju in Judges, right? Kind of like Gideon's story, cool. But oh, the heart of God. He sees Ruth and he's like, I see you, I see what you're doing, let's, let's keep writing this story. God sees these steps we take, and he's like, let's keep writing this amazing story over your life. And so then we're going to see the next beautiful virtue that she exhibits, prudence. Prudence is wisdom, like good judgment, but we'll read it first, and then we'll kind of unpack it a little bit. So in Ruth 3, one day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. I was reminded of a verse in James 4. That says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere. She's choosing to be prudent, choosing wisdom, and, and she's submissive to her mother-in-law. She is considerate, and she doesn't even just like, hey, I have a better idea. Hey, listen, I don't know. Like, our culture, right? We love to just know our way, and we're going to build up the next great thing, and we don't need this old way of living. And, oh, my goodness, come on. Like, you know, the older generation, right? Like, who are they even? Do I even know anyone from the older generation? Like, that's <laughs> right. Like, we probably won't even have anything bad to say to them. That we're just like, I don't know where they are. Um, <laughs> I have been provoked by this, and I'm inspired. The way that she honors, the way that she heeds wisdom from her elderly mother-in-law without question, without pushback. Like, this is a cultural total shift from the way that we were all probably raised. <laughs> and I think in our culture, right, I think for us it would be good, it would be good judgment, it would be good wisdom to go find an elder and just ask for their wisdom. Like sit under their feet. And I think, right, it's Mother's Day today, and I think of Tammy and Juliana and Beverly, Linda, Sylvie, Maureen, Robin, Sarah, Rosario, Rosemary, like these women, you should take them out today if they're not going anywhere, first of all. <laughs> and don't just take them out to coffee. Like, take them out to lunch. It should cost you. It should cost you. Wisdom should cost you. Cost us something. But you should really, you should just ask them, tell me your wisdom. Like, tell me your story. What I want to receive from you. 
we need to receive from the Naomi's in our life. We need to honor them, and to honor them is to be prudent. We need to submit and consider their wisdom without just adding our two cents, our 30-year-old two cents. (laughs) I'm a little bit older than that, so (laughs) I have five cents. Just a little bit more. No. <laughs> just joking. I have been convicted by this, and I don't. I'm young. I'm. I'm just as young. Um, okay. The fourth virtue. The fourth virtue that Ruth exhibits is forbearance. Okay. What is forbearance? Forbearance is self-control, probably in its simplest form. It's restraint. It's has a patience component, but the really cool part about it is it is the action of refraining from a legal right. And let's just pause right now. Are we not now suddenly so grateful that God has forbearance? We deserved, I mean, these, this, you know, we are just actually, unfortunately, we are the people and judges, right? Um, I was saying in the earlier service cults, like, been listening to Jonathan Edwards, and it is so dramatic, like, his servant hands and the God of an anger God, something, it's intense. But it's like, he's like, he says it all monotone, he's like, you are just like the sin, all the sin is like God's holding you, and there's nothing keeping him from dropping you into the fire of fiery pit. It's his forbearance. Like, it's so intense. But I have been hit by, like, this reality that it's his forbearance. (sighs) He has every right, and he is withholding that right. He is the ultimate servant king. So how is Ruth showing forbearance? So her mother-in-law gave her these instructions. So she's going to the threshing floor where Boaz is, and it says, when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth. So here's the interesting thing. Ruth is, um, there's a law in the Jewish law that if you are a widow, your distant relative, a brother-in-law, a cousin, a male relative, legally needs to marry you. It's called the kinship redeemer law. Needs to marry you and, and you and birth you a child and that child, if it's a boy, I believe, I don't know, maybe girls, probably not, but if it's a boy, um, that boy will carry the line of the dead father, husband. Um, So this actually, so Ruth does have a legal right, even though she's a Moab, she does have a legal right to be like, hey, you are a relative, you need to do this for me, you need to marry me, Um, da 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 da. So she has that legal right. You have a right. You better exercise your right, right? Come on, guys, right? We have a right. So because she heeded the wisdom of Naomi, she considered it, she submitted to it, I don't know if it was her idea. I mean, she probably was just like, she, I, I, I would have been like, mm, can we kind of talk about this? Um, 
Oh, did I say it here? Uh, the earlier service I said. <laughs> I said when Cole and I first like we went on our, well, I think we were like considering marriage at this time, but I did say, I was like, just so you know, I don't believe in submission. <laughs> 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 and woe is me. I have learned. <laughs> that is wrong, but that will give you an idea of how I would have walked this life out at that age. Not good. I would have failed tremendously. Really. I would have really failed. And I might still, but Jesus. Okay. So, so what is she doing? She uncovered his feet and she laid down and she said, I'm her servant. She is basically saying, I'm not going to demand my right. This act of laying on his feet and uncovering the feet, laying down, is like what the servants would do. So she's literally coming as a posture as a servant, humbly not demanding her right. And in a way, though, it still is courageous for her just even coming there and doing that. So it's this powerful combination of forbearance and fortitude, right? Not demanding, coming humbly as a servant, but very courageously doing something very courageous. That's a really powerful combination. Just think about that, you guys. That's really powerful. Wow. It's a double whammy, man. So the next virtue, we're on the fifth one now, there's a lot, is kindness. So Ruth then, she's here, and then um, Boab says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. He replied, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, which whether rich or poor, and now my daughter, don't be afraid, I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. And then he goes on, although it's true, I am your garden redeemer, there happens to be a closer one, um, and I'll go talk to him tomorrow, and we'll settle the whole thing. If he doesn't take the guardian redeemer, I'll do it. So you see, like, first of all, yes, they have seen her kindness. People have watched her kindly serve this widow, and I, I really have no idea. Like, this sounds like this was pretty noble, you know? It was, right? Like, everyone was doing their own thing. To, so her kindness first there. Her kindness, so it's supposed, you know, like he's probably elderly and older, and her kindness to walk out this line, I would think, potentially, um, and not just go off and marry a younger man and kind of do this whole thing on her own and solve this problem and take care of it the natural way that I can do in my own strength. She has not done that, but she's just served her elderly mother-in-law. Blessed are the, right, right the, the verse about taking care of widows and orphans. That's what she's doing. And so the other part that is interesting and we'll see is like, well, I'll get there with meekness. So now the final virtue that I see, meekness. I'm going to have the worship team come up. Um, so how is she meek? So just kind of recapping, at this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner? Okay, so maybe she naturally has a meekness because she's a foreigner. But still, the way she's walked, she's lived with her mother-in-law. She's worked hard every day. When she comes to Boaz, instead of demanding her right, she says, I am your servant, Ruth. 
And when the start of this journey, right, she had a choice. She could have made a really somewhat, okay, like, Orpah did it. You like just go back to Moab, you know, just marry somebody your age. Um, but she chose to kind of reject what was a potential natural success yeah. and step into this secret, quiet, unknown, selfless heart of servantness. There was no guarantee, right? She, and I think for all she knows, right, it could have just been like, okay, we have this wheat. I will work my life. I think she would have just worked her life, right? And she probably will. And she probably does. But I'm just provoked by that choice, these choices, this whole subtle thread of meekness. And then it reminds me once again of the verse, blessed are the meek. Because little does she know that Boaz does marry her the other man said no, which is interesting because sometimes we count the cost for saying yes, but we don't necessarily always count the cost for saying no. And if that man maybe had the chance to count that cost, his name might have been in the Bible. He doesn't even have a name. <laughs> so here she said yes. These subtle little yeses, these little moments to stay in the gathering, you know, that barley a little bit longer all done humbly and then she has a son and to add to that meekness they say Naomi has a son she's not like hey wait a minute I did this wait a minute I need some credit here come on like no she's like yes my mother-in-law this is her son this is their line and that is Obed who fathers Jesse who fathers David, who later follow, fathers Jesus down the line, right? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. She inherited the earth. Her little yes, her meekness, like there's our moral imagination. When you think of meekness, when you think of that verse, look at this life of this woman. And Jesus is the, he is these virtues. He is meek, right? And how beautiful. I, I mean, I don't know how it all works in heaven, but it's like, he's seen these women. He's like, I want her in my family line. The Rahabs, you know, like his heart for the outcast, his heart for the woman who was destitute. An elderly woman who was destitute. And this woman's, laid it all down for her not even for someone great you know like not not to be the assistant of some potential like CEO you know like she laid it down for uh, her mother and her mother-in-law like the list just gets worse and worse what she's done but this is our God this is our God and he's writing these stories and so I invite you even as you read the Old Testament, look for these storylines. Let it feed you. Look in the scriptures of the New Testament. And when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, you know, look in the Old Testament for that. Let it build your mind. So we have these pictures. And when we are having a hard time, thank you. We can go to this. 
But yes, this is Jesus. He is faithful. He is kind. He patiently endures. He's forbearant. He is meek. He is meek. And that has just hit me so much. Our God, the King of the universe, is meek. So, O oh Lord, who are we to demand our rights? Who are we to complain, to be entitled, to impart our five cents so quickly? Who are we? Because you, the king of the universe, you are meek, you are kind, you are forbearant, you are loyal, you are loyal, you are faithful. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, take us to a place. Where we don't have any more words. I don't have any more words. Jesus, we want you. And we want you to do. We want your way. We want to heed the wisdom of you. We want to take in the wisdom of heaven that is pure considerate, submissive, full of mercy. Forgive us. We've rushed too fast and embraced a way of life that's saying just do what your selfish, impulsive, fleshly desires are. Forgive us. We want you, Jesus. We want to follow you. We want your better way. Let's just enter back into worship for a time. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.